you take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Rock Bellville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. Tokers and Toquettes and non-toking lovers of liberty, it is Monday, November 23rd, 2015, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It is so good to be home. I am back at Rolla J Studios in beautiful legal potland, Oregon, after 11 days on the road. My first trip ever to a foreign country. Yeah, believe it or not. I'm approaching 48 years old, and this was my first ever trip outside of the United States. I went to Jamaica, man, and had a good time covering the High Times Cannabis Cup down there in Jamaica, as well as getting a good chance to look around in Negril and in Montego Bay, meeting a lot of the locals, checking out some of the sites. Oh, it was just a beautiful time. Uh, I'll have some of that audio up on my SoundCloud page, plus photos available through all my Radical Russ social media outlets. Once I get done unpacking all this data. Also, I left from Jamaica to Washington, D.C. I was in uh, Arlington, Virginia, the Crystal Gateway, Crystal City area by the Pentagon for the International Drug Reform Conference 2015. They hold this every two years. Last uh, was 2013 in Los Angeles. Next will be 2017 in Atlanta, Georgia in My goodness, folks, what an amazing four days we had. It was the largest ever gathering of drug law reformers on the planet. They had finally, by the the end tally, over 1,600 people that attended this conference over the four-day span and coming from 71 different countries, representatives from almost every continent except uh, Antarctica, I believe. So it was an amazing, comprehensive conference, and we're going to bring you some of that audio today on the show. Coming up in the Radical Rant segment at the end of the show, we're going to play for you uh, one of the greatest public speakers I've ever heard, Deborah Peterson-Small from Break the Chain. She's one of the co-founders of that organization, and she makes the case... Uh, for changing our punitive drug laws, ending prohibition. She questions some of the framing around our drug laws. Her little point about three strikes was the talk of the conference. But also, she made a call for drug war reparations. That's right, reparations. She said it. And we're going to talk about that today on the show. We're going to talk about that in our Behind the Headlines segment and just ask the question, how would that work? How could reparations from the drug war benefit the African-American community that's been so devastated by the disproportionate enforcement of the drug prohibitions? So we'll talk about that. Also, in drug war data mining today, we're going to take a look at polling for marijuana legalization in North America, Canada, the United States, and now a new poll coming out of Mexico. Also on the show, it is Monday. That means we get our regular visit with Dr. Mitch Earlywine in our cannabis Q&A segment. We'll take your live calls at 971-533-7111. If you've got any questions for the doctor on cannabis science, culture, history, or health, get that number ready. It's 971-533-7111. 
But of course, we start everything off with the Cannabis Radio News. We've got headlines coming to you from Alaska, from Florida, from Pennsylvania, from New York City, and from a tribe in Wisconsin. Then stay tuned for Hour 2, Toker Talk Radio. We take more live calls, give you our 420 daily Toker tune. And we're going to talk about, talk about white privilege, cops stealing more than the robbers, and was Ohio's legalization vote stolen? You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. The son of a Polish immigrant who grew up in a Brooklyn tenement. He went to public schools, then college, where the work of his life began, fighting injustice and inequality, speaking truth to power. He moved to Vermont, won election and praise as one of America's best mayors. In Congress, he stood up for working families and for principle, opposing the Iraq War, supporting veterans. Now he's taking on Wall Street and a corrupt political system, funded by over a million contributions, tackling climate change to create clean energy jobs, fighting for living wages, equal pay, and tuition-free public colleges. People are sick and tired of establishment politics, and they want real change. Bernie Sanders, husband, father, grandfather, an honest leader, building a movement with you to give us a future to believe in. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, more flavor. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News, covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is available exclusively through CannabisRadio.com in partnership with the Associated Press. Now, your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds in the Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Monday, November 23, 2015. The board tasked with writing rules for Alaska's recreational marijuana industry voted Friday to allow for people to use pot at certain stores that will sell it, a first among the four states that have legalized cannabis. The three-to-two vote by the Marijuana Control Board also changed the definition of the term in public to allow for consumption at some pot shops, none of which are open yet. Colorado, Washington, and Oregon have legalized recreational marijuana but ban its public use, including in pot stores. Voters last November passed the state's initiative legalizing recreational pot use by those 21 and older. The initiative banned public consumption but didn't define public. The board amended the definition to allow for consumption in a designated area at certain licensed pot stores. It had previously said it lacked the legal authority to create a type of license permitting public use. State health officials announced Monday that five Florida nurseries have been chosen to cultivate and distribute the first legal marijuana in the state. Each of the five nurseries teamed with consultants, investors, and out-of-state pot growers to develop their application and were chosen from a pool of 28 applicants from around the state. 
The decision moves the state closer to implementing the 2014 law that allows for marijuana low in euphoria-inducing tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC, and high in cannabidiol, or CBD, to be grown in Florida to treat patients with intractable epilepsy and people with advanced cancer. Under the law, applicants must have been in business in Florida for at least 30 years and grown a minimum of 400,000 plants at the time they applied. Each of the growers now will have 10 business days to post a $5 million performance bond to show they are serious about obtaining that license. A Pennsylvania State House committee advanced a medical marijuana bill in a bipartisan vote last Wednesday, but passing it into law will still likely require changes. The vote was 25 to 8, with all Democrats voting in support of the bill and Republicans split. The bill passed the Senate in May, 40 to 7. The bill was scheduled for a full House vote today, but the vote has been pulled from the schedule. Sources told the local ABC affiliate that an amendment is expected to be introduced that would water down Senate Bill 3 by putting caps on THC and the number of cannabis plants. A rally was held in the Capitol Rotunda at noon today. A family who lost their child to Dravet syndrome, a severe seizure disorder, spoke, saying they believe their child would still be alive if medical cannabis was legal in Pennsylvania. Cops are following through on New York City Mayor de Blasio's pledge to stop locking people up for carrying small amounts of pot. Police cuffed 18,120 cannabis consumers through October 20th, a 40% plummet from the 29,906 pot busts in the same period last year, State Division of Criminal Justice records show. At the same time, tickets for pot violations have surged. Cops handed out 13,081 low-level pot summons through the end of September and are and are on pace for more than 16,000 tickets. The NYPD issued 13,378 pot tickets for all of last year and 13,316 tickets in 2013, records show. City Hall ordered cops last year to ticket suspects they caught with 25 grams or less of marijuana instead of arresting them after district attorneys and activists clamored for drug decriminalization. Still, arrests outnumber tickets citywide, and there appears to be wide variations in enforcement. Less than a month after its land was raided, the Menemeni tribe uh, has filed a lawsuit against the DEA and the Department of Justice. The Wisconsin tribe wants to clarify whether it's legal for it to grow industrial hemp on its reservation, which the tribe considers to be equal to a state. Quote, we still stand firm on that belief that, yes, we fit the guidelines, end quote, said Gary Basaw, the Menemeni Indian tribal chairman. The guidelines Basaw is talking about are those in the 2014 Farm Bill. Basaw says the bill allows his tribe to team with the College of Menemeni Nation to research and grow industrial hemp. The DEA has said the tribe wasn't growing industrial hemp. After the October raid, the DEA reported it confiscated 30,000 high-grade marijuana plants. The tribe hopes to have a decision by spring in hopes of possibly starting another hemp crop. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Monday, November 23, 2015. I'm Russ Belville. The Russ Belville Show. Chat is for friends 18 and older. We expect our chat to be civil, mature, and free from excessive profanity. If you don't like these rules, there are approximately 6 billion other chat rooms with lower standards that you can visit. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, Handle your Cannabis 280E in tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPA's Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. 
NewEraCPAs.com. With years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Welcome back, everybody. Time to go behind the headlines. And later today in the Radical Rant, you're going to hear a powerful speech uh, from Deborah Small from Break the Chains, where she calls for reparations in the drug war. And the idea being that the drug war has disproportionately impacted people of color. So as we legalize marijuana, there ought to be a way to see that a majority of that uh, benefit of that profit goes back to help those communities that were so damaged. And reparations are nothing new. This has been talked about ever since the end of slavery when uh, General William Tecumseh Sherman promised 40 acres and a mule to all the freed slaves, which would be a hell of a bargain compared to the actual amount that's been floated anywhere from 5.9 to 14.2 trillion dollars of reparations. But the whole idea of reparations has always been kind of, uh, complicated and controversial because who exactly gets paid and how much, right? Uh, not all black people in America can trace their ancestry to a former African slave. And would it matter if that slave was kidnapped in the 19th century or all the way back to the 17th century? Would you pay more or less? Uh, some black people have less black ancestry. Do they get a smaller cut? What about the children of freed blacks? What about new immigrants who don't have any uh, uh, black uh, slave history, but are still treated differently because they're black. I mean, it's a very complicated subject, no doubt about it. But within the drug war, and specifically within marijuana legalization, we've got some pretty detailed records and data about exactly who was impacted. Maybe we could examine ways to repair the damage the drug war has wrought on African-American communities without wading into the thickets of who is more deserving of the reparations. First of all, as we legalize weed state by state, we can put an end to these prohibitions on licensing anybody who has a previous conviction for marijuana offenses. That has a racist impact. I mean, cops are more likely to bust black folks, so then those black folks are less likely to be able to get legal licenses in the new market. And besides, it doesn't make a whole, a whole lot of sense. Why would we want to prevent people with the most experience in marijuana from being the legal operators in that market? Isn't the idea of legalization to turn criminals into law-abiding citizens? Another thing we might consider is seeing that the distribution of the tax revenues from marijuana legalization get earmarked to specific programs to benefit people of color and their communities that have been devastated by the drug war. Educational benefits, perhaps. But those two suggestions still don't stop the Yale MBAs and the already well-capitalized white businessmen from coming in and reaping the lion's share of profit in the new green rush. So consider this. Why not create an affirmative action program for marijuana licensing 
that encourages the formerly illegal to join the legal marketplace. A scoring system, perhaps, that gives various points for previous possession, cultivation, or trafficking convictions, plus more points for every year of incarceration. Now, I can I can imagine the criticism of this would be uh, you're rewarding criminal behavior, but I'd spin it as, no, we're giving recruiting bonuses to pull the best marijuana talent into the legal marketplace. And the nice thing about that, the point system, is it wouldn't necessarily be racially based because somebody like Jeff Mazansky, who ended up doing you know 22 years in prison, a white guy did 22 years in prison, would score high on those points too and be able to be you know ahead in the line for licensing. Another idea might be to distribute the licenses based on the disproportionate criminal enforcement of the former prohibition. Like, for example, if a county locked up 60% black people, 25% Latinos, and 15% whites for marijuana trafficking, then let's take its 10 potential dispensary licenses and give six of them to black people, three of them to Latinos, and one to a white guy. Same with cultivation licenses based on cultivation bust rates and give the bud tender and trimmer jobs based on possession bust rates. It would help to create a new marijuana industry that's dominated by people of color but and also help you know lift up their decimated communities, but would still give some preference to the white people who also have been victims of drug war incarceration as well. I mean, it's not a perfect solution. Don't get me wrong. I mean, why should the growers and dealers who managed to get caught get to cut in line in front of the people who didn't get caught? That's one problem I can think of. But come on, fellow white folks. We all felt a little less guilt when we gave the Native Americans most of the casino market. Why not turn over most of the marijuana market to the blacks and the Latinos who paid the price to keep all of us high all these years? It's something we ought to discuss, something to think about. And coming up in hour two, we'll take your live calls at 971-533-7111. That's just how white folks will do you. (laughs) Well, President Obama, we're trying to find a new way. Let's find a way to help this fix the damage of the drug war. Stay tuned later for uh, Deborah Small's take on this. Uh, It's just amazing. It's going to open your mind to think about some of this stuff. Happy 420, folks, in the Mountain Time Zone. We've got to take a break. We'll be right back after this. The Russ Belleville Show, where we don't change our position on decriminalization in an election year. The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. 
K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at CarterInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. Arguing for the end of adult marijuana prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It is even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more in this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Drug War Data Mines, we take a look at the national polls in North America as marijuana legalization becomes more and more popular. Of course, recently the Gallup poll came out once again here in the United States showing that 58% of the people support the legalization of marijuana. In Canada, the polls are even greater at 59% in the most recent, I think it was a staff poll, 59% of the Canadian people are in support of marijuana legalization, and that's also uh, bolstered by the recent sweep of the liberals into power in Canada and their uh, their uh, prime minister, Justin Trudeau, who campaigned on the platform of legalizing marijuana, who's already got his justice ministers working on the plan to legalize nationwide in Canada. Of course, the United States has four states already with legal cannabis and another five that are on deck, at least five, that are on deck for legalized marijuana coming up in the next election. 23 states with some form of medical cannabis recognition and another couple of states probably on deck, Florida, maybe Missouri, uh, going for medical marijuana. And down south in Mexico, we've recently gotten the decision by the Mexican Supreme Court on the case of five petitioners who petitioned for the right to use cannabis and citing the Mexican Constitution's protections on the development of self and personality. The Supreme Court agreed, but it's not something that carries precedent for the whole nation. It only applies to those five petitioners. There are a few other cases coming. And according uh, to reports, if there's another uh, eight of those, that uh, it would take four more consecutive decisions of the same kind or eight of the 11 permanent justices to agree for the Mexican Supreme Court's ruling to set an official precedent and force the government to review the law. This is according to Reuters News Agency. So with Mexico poised to legalize marijuana, Canada poised to legalize marijuana, uh, and the United States legalizing it state by state, the most interesting piece of data that we get out of North American marijuana legalization polling comes today, as reported by Reuters, two-thirds of Mexicans are against decriminalizing marijuana. 66% of the people polled, and this was in a telephone survey by El Universal newspaper, Opposed legalizing marijuana. Two out of three of the Mexican people. And it's a stunning result when you understand that over 100,000 people have died in drug-related violence in Mexico since 2007. And, of course, another 
tens of thousands of Mexicans who've been disappeared, who we don't know if they're dead, kidnapped, held captive or what. And for the Mexican people to not make the connection that the legalization of cannabis is what's going to reduce that drug-related violence is a real travesty. It's, it's just sad that they don't understand that. The cartels are in business because of the prohibition profits that allow them to continue their murderous rampage. You don't see Dos Equis and Corona shooting it out in the streets of Matamoros, right? It's just not happening. So this poll showing only 66% support or 66% uh, opposition to marijuana legalization is troublesome. However, there is a little silver lining. In that same poll, 63% said they backed a wide-ranging debate on marijuana legalization in Mexico. A wide-ranging debate. So it makes you wonder if when they talk about legalization in Mexico, whether the people are voting against a commercialization of marijuana in Mexico, and maybe they would be open to other options, decriminalization, uh, uh community gardens, uh, limited legalization like something uh, the Netherlands might have. But we'll keep our eyes on these polls and the efforts to try to get the Mexican people to understand that what's in everybody's best interest here is the end of this marijuana prohibition. Certainly some of this is attributable to Mexico being a very Catholic country be very conservative in those issues uh, considering drug use to be a moral failing but it's important that we get much more education in Spanish to our friends south of the border to understand the need to end adult marijuana prohibition I'm Radical Russ, we'll be right back with Dr. Mitch Earlywine from Burning Issues with your Cannabis Q&A live on CannabisRadio.com you're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on MJWellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. It's time for the Russ Belleville Show's Cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Dr. Earlywine is a professor of psychology at the State University of New York at Albany and a leading author and researcher on cannabinoids and health. 
who pins the Ask Dr. Mitch column for High Times Magazine. Get your questions ready in our live chat or call in to 971-533-7111 now. Welcome back, everybody. Time for our cannabis Q&A. And uh, I saw Dr. Mitch show up in our chat room, and I'm trying to reach him on Skype, but he's there's Dr. Mitch on Skype. How you doing, Dr. Mitch? Hello, Mitch. Can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, we got you there. <laughs> I saw your, your Skype was offline. I was worried. Oh, okay. Glad to have you here. Dr. Mitch is the host of Burning Issues here on CannabisRadio.com, weekly podcast dedicated to enlightening people on the truth about cannabis. And uh, Dr. Mitch, what's coming up on your next show? Oh, it's curious. I had a really intriguing interview with uh, Libertarian uh, Executive Vice President of the Cato Institute, um, David Bowes, and he actually, you know, we had a good time. It was fun. All right. Check that out on CannabisRadio.com. You can get all the uh, Burning Issues uh, episodes available there for download on demand, and uh, we'll have more. We'll make more of those as we go. But Dr. Mitch joins us every Monday and has for years now to discuss our Cannabis Q&A. The phone lines are open. If you've got a question on cannabis science, culture, history, or health, the phone line is 971-533-7111. But uh, as we wait for your calls, we've got a few other stories that we can talk about. And at the top of the list, Dr. Minch, a very interesting study that was uh, shown up on Medical Daily that claims childhood sexual abuse is linked to marijuana use, but it really may all be in the genes. What can we glean from this study? So this is actually a, a neat crew out at WashU who have this uh, big data set of twins uh, down in Australia And it looks like folks who run into trouble with cannabis, it's probably a a heritable contributor as far as that is concerned. But there's usually you inherit some kind of propensity towards a reaction to the drug. And a stressor, a big stressor like uh, child abuse may be uh, what contributes to, you know, that leap from, you know, experimental use to troubled use. I, you know, didn't want to make too big a deal out of this just because it's a... a uh, very complicated genetic analysis, and this individual gene may not replicate, but we've seen heritability of cannabis dependence symptoms back when uh, that was the diagnosis, so it wouldn't stun me uh, that there's a, a heritable contributor. Okay, so so somebody who's comes from a family where they've got a difficulty with marijuana use, uh, that may be something that leads to their own difficulty with marijuana use, the heritability you're speaking of. Exactly, and it looks like actually not from these data, but from other data sets, what you inherit is often the response to cannabis itself, and so uh, that subset of folks may find it more pleasant or uh, uh, a good way of, of getting their minds off certain stressors. But it's the combination of that and uh, a stressor like childhood abuse that that seems to be uh, what what leads to the actual dependence symptoms. Does that mean that some of those people out there that say when they first smoke they don't get high, maybe that's genetic? Uh, There's certainly a heritability to that initial response, but that not getting high actually seems to be linked to an inability to know how to inhale. (laughs) uh, It's kind of an intriguing uh, first step. Well, I did not inhale. I did not like it, and I never tried it again. (laughs) Well done, sir. (laughs) 
Let's take a look at this other study, which uh, this one was interesting because uh, here in Oregon, we've recently gotten these new placards that have to be handed out whenever there's a cannabis purchase at our legal stores that talks about there may be damage to the fetus, there may be problems for pregnant women, maybe you shouldn't smoke pot, and there's always these studies saying this or that bad thing about moms who smoke pot, but this study says that prenatal exposure to marijuana can affect your kid's vision in a good way. Tell folks about this one. So I was pretty stunned by this, but uh, basically in this rather complicated um, tracking, uh, visual tracking task, the kids who were uh, at age four and were the ones who uh, had moms who had exposure to cannabis during pregnancy were actually doing better on this. It's not a huge effect, but it's definitely something um, that, you know, was statistically significant. I want to emphasize, as I would if it had gone the other way, that these weren't randomly assigned. And I'm guessing that these were folks who, you know, had mothers who may have been particularly good at comparable tasks. Uh, If they had done an adult test of something in the same domain, I would have found this a little more uh, easy to follow. But the other thing is, I'm just sort of spitballing here, but I'm wondering if it may have been something a little like that uh, cannabis protecting against alcohol-induced damages in the brain, that if these were parents who actually were pretty drug-involved, the ones who did alcohol and alcohol alone may have actually done more damage to their kids, while the ones who uh, had cannabis on top of the alcohol may have protected against. I'm still really down on drug use uh, during during pregnancy, and so I just wanted to emphasize that uh, this isn't this isn't exactly a prenatal vitamin. Yeah, and and there's there's so many different confounders when we try to uh, get any information out of this sort of stuff because you can't you know just randomly assign half the pregnant women to smoke pot. Uh, it's all self selecting and such. And who knows? Maybe maybe people that already have these enhanced visual skills are more likely to be people that want to smoke pot, and then their kids inherit those visual skills. Is that? kind of something you, you got happen. it exactly right man that that's that's it and i think there's uh some comparable animal work that really needs to be done where we could do random assignment and just checked uh i mean obviously rats can't do this task but they do do visual spatial tasks and we could see if uh, that enhancement does replicate that way and have a stronger causality argument all right we have a headline coming out of time magazine on time.com that says one in ten people in the u.s have abused drugs, and that's where we have to define what do we mean by abused and what do we mean by drugs. So what's crazy about this is this is one of the hugest uh, face-to-face interviews from a national survey back in 2012, and it's unfortunate because the diagnosis for uh, drug abuse is actually no longer around. The DSM-5 has uh, an addiction syndrome, so I'm, I'm apprehensive about making too much of this, but the take-home message is that about 10% of folks have had some kind of drug-related problems actually is consistent with data we've had in the past. Um, but that includes cannabis, cocaine, hallucinogens, heroin, uh, the whole gamut. And I, I think um, the, the clincher is we want to you know, emphasize that, hey, this can happen to anyone despite the heritability and the uh, class differences and things like that we've mentioned – and that the opioid-related things are clearly up. So I could split hairs about the diagnosis of dependence, but just the fact that we've got literally more uh, painkiller abuse than we've ever had is something for everybody to keep in mind. 
by all means, uh, leave those things alone if you can. We're speaking with Dr. Mitch Earlywine, the host of Burning Issues on CannabisRadio.com. And if you got a call in question, the phone line is 971-533-7111. Or if you'd like to email your question in, you can send it to 420research at gmail.com, and we might tackle it in a future show. Uh, another study showing an alarming link between alcohol, drug use, and campus rape. This is, as a professor on a college campus, I'm sure this is a topic you deal with quite a bit. Well, actually, this is my friend Kate Carey, who used to be at Syracuse University, and she you know, did a really good job of getting some candid responses. But uh, in a large sample, over 400 uh, freshman women, suggested about 15% had experienced some kind of sexual assault while basically incapacitated by drugs or alcohol. And I feel like the, the only thing to say about this is, oh, my God, this is horrible. And it's time to let uh, intervening be the social norm now. So if you see somebody passed out, get that person somewhere safe, regardless of race, creed, gender, sexual orientation or whatever. We don't want people to do that. And then let's definitely set the norm that this is completely uncool to, you know, even be trying to kiss somebody who isn't conscious. Like this is just so wrong in so many ways and just so hostile and reprehensible. And we've had data comparable to this literally for decades. And it says a lot about uh, making better decisions as far as alcohol is concerned. I really feel like when you look at the norms, most folks really do not drink very much at all. Uh, have maybe one or two drinks in an evening, and it's just a, a outlying crew that happen to drink four or more on any individual occasion, and that seems to be what's putting folks at risk for uh, these assaults. Yeah, and such a shame that so many colleges, uh, there's some sort of drug testing involved that kind of incentivizes the use of alcohol or these harder drugs rather than marijuana. Is there is there really much to people that are marijuana alone uh, consumers seeing this increased link with campus rape? We don't have those data in either direction, um, but in part, it's it's hard to get funding to look at that and that alone. And so I'm finding that a little bit suspicious. The other thing, I mean, I want to hammer home the disparate penalties. So if you're caught with an illicit drug of any kind on some campuses, you're expelled. And that's just not the same penalty for alcohol at all, even with underage drinking. So uh, what's potentially a safer uh, drug in this case for numerous reasons, including probably a, a decreased likelihood simply because uh, who smokes so much pot that they pass out? <laughs> yeah. Then, then uh, here we we're essentially, you know, setting things up so the contingencies are completely ass backwards. Yeah. All right. And uh, finally, we've got a story out of Tech Times that very interesting because we've talked about kids and ADHD and Adderall and so forth. And this study said that kids who take ADHD medications like Adderall are more likely to be bullied. And, and what's behind that? I'm afraid this is just a, a mask for actually kids with ADHD are more likely to be bullied. Oh. And it's a very sad dynamic. And it, uh, it's funny because the qualitative work is actually what revealed it most. I thought, oh, these kids will be tough and they'll be quick to anger and probably not be something somebody that a bully would want to target. But in fact, when you interview the bullies, what they say is they know the ADHD kid is in trouble a lot and that if they pick on them, 
uh, odds are high the teacher's not going to believe them. And that just breaks my heart. Mm. I was just like, oh, my God, what kind of bully basically goes after somebody with that rationale? But that seems to be part of the case. So I don't think this really has anything to do with the ADHD meds so much as this odd dance between the bullies and the bullied that uh, ADHD tends to put folks at risk for. Was it, wasn't there something in there about being bullied to sell or give away their meds, though? Oh, it's interesting because at the end of the article, she does say that at Valari. Um, yeah, oh, what a bummer, man. So, <laughs> <laughs> just, not only are you more likely to get in trouble, but hey, I want your drugs. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's, a new, it's the new twist on the old, hey, kid, give me your lunch money. Exactly, exactly. Well, folks, check out Dr. Mitch on the Burning Issues podcast on CannabisRadio.com. You can also reach him by email at 420research at gmail.com. And uh, we'll speak to you next Monday. Thanks, Dr. Mitch. Okay, man. Talk to you soon. All right. When we come back, an amazing oratory from Deborah Peterson Small, co-founder of Break the Chains, on the need for drug war reparations and the insanity of baseball metaphors for criminal justice. You're listening to The Russ Belville Show on CannabisRadio.com. You're tuned into The Russ Belville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me to say that. You know Herb Thrasher from the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour. Now get ready for Herb Age Designs for the proud cannabis consumer. Herb Age Designs, lifestyle gear for the 420 friendly. Herb Age Designs, we've got frisbee golf discs and durable hemp gear. Herb Age Designs, we've got shot glasses, drinking glasses, coffee mugs, and beer cozies. Check us out on Facebook and online at HerbAgeDesigns.com. And follow Herb Age and Herb Thrasher on Twitter. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. And now Deborah Peterson Small from Break the Chains at the International Reform Conference.
Um, our next speaker is someone I have an incredible honor to introduce. It's very humbling. She was my boss when I worked at the Drug Policy Alliance for the first time, and so I was able to sit at her feet for three years and be amazed by her daily the way that I'm sure all of you who joined us at the Black Lives Matter town hall were last night with her brilliance. Ms. Deborah Peterson-Small is... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So Deborah Peterson-Small is founder and executive director of Break of the Chains, a public policy research and advocacy organization committed to addressing the disproportionate impact of punitive drug policies on poor communities of color. It was founded in the belief that community activism and advocacy is an essential component of progressive policy and works to engage families and community leaders in promoting alternatives to the failed war on drugs by adopting public health approaches to substance abuse and drug-related crime. Please join me in welcoming the amazing Deborah Peterson-Small. Good morning, everyone. Can't tell you how happy I am to be here. Um, I want to start actually by acknowledging the shoulders that I'm standing on, because we did start with the memoriam. And there were three people there who were really important to me being here today. The first one was Dr. Benny Prim. He was one of the first people that I met when I came into this community. And throughout the entire time of my relationship with him, he was more than just an advisor. He was like the father that I didn't have. I could always go to him and talk to him about anything. And I really think it's important for people to get to know who he was and what it was that he contributed because so many of us are doing work that was based on the things that he started back in the 1960s. The second person is Eddie Ellis, who literally took me to prison. I would not be here doing this work if it was not for him. He identified very early on when I was working for the Civil Liberties Union and going up to Albany that all he needed to do was to bring me to the place where the horrors were happening and then allow the rest to take care of itself. And I love Eddie and I miss him so much. And then finally, someone who wasn't included in that because he died almost a decade ago, but Keith Kyler, one of the founders of Housing Works, was also really, really instrumental in my development as an advocate, as a policy person, and as a fighter. Because Keith lived his life fully as the person he wanted to be, a drug user. He never shied away from that. He never denied that. He never felt ashamed of that. And to me, it's really important if this movement is really a movement about elevating people who use drugs, that we have at the forefront people who actually use drugs and are not ashamed to say it. I want to um, pick up where Ethan left off yesterday in talking about the importance of knowing our history. Because for me, you know, I came to this movement because of my belief and commitment to social justice. And I feel like I'm always learning more and more and more about how all these things tie together. 
So I want you all to go with me on a little history journey. I'm going to go even further back than Damon went. I'm going to go back 400 years because I think it's important for us to recognize that the Western civilization, of which most of us are a part, was built and funded on the promotion of addiction for profit. I want to repeat that. The Western civilization that we are part of, the Anglo-American enterprise of which the U.S. was the most successful process, project, was built and financed by promoting addiction for profit to sugar, tobacco, alcohol. The slave trade was developed in order to support the promotion of addiction for profit. Racism was invented to justify the slave trade, which was developed to promote addiction for profit. And here we are, 400 years later, after having built an empire on the backs of people that we got addicted to things so we could make money from them. Now we have a new system of punishing people for the addictions we develop so that we can profit from the punishment. So I want to assert that the greatest addictions that Americans have is not to drugs. Our three biggest addictions are to denial, to punishment, and to the American dream. I'm going to take a minute on that one because we talked about that a little bit yesterday and I just want people to think about this because we don't actually have critical conversations about the words that we use and what they mean. What is it to be a country that defines itself in terms of a dream, which is by definition not real? Like, really, our whole identity is built up in pursuing something that actually doesn't exist. And if we were real about our history, we would acknowledge that that period of goldenness, wonderful America, only lasted for 30 years. 30 years out of an almost 300-year period, but we've defined our whole identity inside of this 30-year period when everybody seemed to be doing good because the rest of the world was doing bad. That's not sustainable. So one of the messages I have for you all is like it's time for us to wake up and live in reality, not in the dream. And in the reality of of our system that we're in now, One of the biggest problems that we have is our addiction to consumerism and to believing that we are what we consume. You know, I say that by definition, drug prohibition cannot exist compatible with human rights. It's not possible to have a system based on prohibition that's compatible with human rights because by practice, it's a policy that requires that you punish people who are involved with drugs. We say that it's a war on drugs, but it's not a war on drugs. It's a war on people. You can't war on the plants. They keep growing no matter what we do. So what really this is, is a war on people. And it's not a war on people who are doing things that we all agree are problematic. It's a war on people that we don't like, who are doing things that are only problematic because they're doing them. All right? I mean, one of the biggest 
frustrations that I continue to have as a drug policy reform advocate is the willingness of so many people to feel it's okay to punish those other people for things that they're doing. And that, you know, reform is punishment light. But we never get to the point of, like, actually not talking about punishment. I say that as a society and culture, our relationship with drugs is rooted in hypocrisy, greed, human exploitation. We care more about our ability to be able to punish people than we care about actually preserving their health, than we do about protecting them. So I want to just go over just a few examples of real examples of the ways in which drug policies operate in ways that are dehumanizing. The first one I want to speak to, because I'm a female, is the way in which our policies are directed against women. One of the justifications for adopting these treaties in the first place was that they were going to protect women and children. And yet what we have seen now in the U.S. and in other countries is the stigmatization of women and particularly of pregnant and parenting women, and the criminalization of their outcomes based on whether or not they use drugs. So in the 80s, it was crack babies. In the 2000s, it's oxytots. We never talk about poverty as a problem for people's birth outcomes. We never talk about all the legal drugs that people get to use, but we're more than willing to lock up women for that. Second, dehumanizing drug conspiracy laws, guilt by association. That's why Kemba got sentenced to all that time. They acknowledged that she didn't use drugs. They acknowledged that she didn't sell drugs, but she was guilty because of her association. What kind of dehumanization is that? And one of the consequences of that is that we use those conspiracy laws to force people to tell lies on each other in order to avoid having the majority of their life be spent behind bars. That is dehumanizing. Don't clap, because I only got three minutes. Last two points. Three strikes laws. For me, this is something I really want us to think about, because we not only apply that in sentencing, we apply that in treatment, we apply that in schools, and we never ask ourselves, where the hell do street strikes come from? It's a baseball metaphor. Why do you have strikes in baseball? Because there is no clock. I'm serious, don't laugh. There's no clock in baseball. So the purpose of balls and strikes is to add some level of boundary and finality to an otherwise untimed game. But people are not like baseball. We're more like football and basketball because our clock starts running from the moment that we're born. We are finite people. So we need to think about what it means to apply a sports metaphor that's designed in that context to people, to people's lives, to say three strikes, you're out. What the hell does that mean? And we actually don't even critically examine how, that, how we came up with that, how we're applying it, and what it actually means. Now, I know I'm running out of time, so I'm going to go to my last two points real quick, which is what is drug policy reform? This is, again, a point where history has to teach us something. In the same way that ending legal slavery did not equate with black freedom, ending mass incarceration is not the same 
as actually removing all the shackles, etc., that drug policies have placed on people of color. Okay, we need to actually think about what is the role that the drug war has played. It has been the space to continue to allow the economic, political, and social oppression and exploitation of people in general, but black and brown people in particular. So if our reform is not changing that power relationship, if all we're doing is taking off people's physical chains and putting them in the economic chains of having to pay for the privilege of not going to prison so that somebody else gets to profit, that's not real reform. And for all of you pot, pot entrepreneurs out there, my question to you is, are you going to be a parasite or a social engineer? Are you going to use your money to keep sucking the blood out of our community, or are you actually going to be part of the solution of applying reparations? And yes, I said that word, because God damn it, I am done with the idea of people having policies that screw over people for decades, and then one day they say, oh wow, we've come enlightened, my bad, and all of a sudden it's all good, and we're still left with the scars. We're still left with the hurt. We're still left with all of the damage that has been done. You guys owe us and I'm here to collect. See you. That's Deborah Peterson Small, co-founder of Break the Chains, with an electric oratory that only needed a mic drop at the end of it to have been any more powerful. It's definitely something we need to consider. How do we repair the damage the drug war has wrought on the communities of color in this country? We'll talk about that coming up here in Hour 2, Toker Talk Radio. We'll take your calls at 971-533-7111. What kind of reparations are possible? What should there be reparations whatsoever? We'll talk about it and more coming up in the next hour. Also coming up, Bacon Dan will be calling in with our Roots Monday Daily Toker Tunes. We'll take a look at asset forfeiture in this country and learn that the cops are stealing more than the robbers. And we'll uh, finish things up with our tinfoil hat. Was Ohio's legalization vote stolen? We take a deeper look in hour two. That's all the time we got for today. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope?
Or you can tell. I am uh, Or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Portland, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the snoopy, snoopy poop dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two, Toker Talk Radio. Your turn to be the voice of the marijuana nation. The phone line is open at 971-533-7111. If you want to give us a call, we're here to talk. Been thinking a lot about race lately. That uh, drug reform conference featured a Black Lives Matter town hall and numerous panels that uh, brought up the plight of communities of color with respect to mass incarceration, the policing of the drug war, and so forth. And uh, in hour one, I talked a little bit about my ideas on how we might make reparations in the drug war. And it's kind of a controversial thing. Some people don't even like the idea. You know, you bring up the word reparations and people get a little bristled, especially white folks sometimes, get a little little upset about that idea. But I, I don't see it as being a big problem, you know. We we gave the casinos to the Native Americans, right? Why did we do that? Because, well, you know, they have tribal sovereignty and we can't control whether or not. But yada, yada, yada. The real reason why we did it was white guilt. We did it because, like, damn, we really kind of, sorry about that whole genocide, genocide thing. Uh, here, how about some casinos, right? Help your reservations. Help your tribes. Uh, raise some money. We'll give you the casinos. And... You you can argue all day that it's not even close to enough as far as, you know, destroying an entire race of people in multiple cultures and multiple languages, etc. Speaking of multiple languages, the uh, last Navajo code talker died this weekend. You know, the uh, code talkers from World War Two, where the they spoke native Navajo code to each other. And it was the only code the Japanese and the Germans couldn't break because it was so, you know, such a, you know, rare language. Yeah, the last of those veterans died uh, just this weekend. But, uh, you know, we gave the casino industry to the Indians, most of it, not all of it. There's still Las Vegas, right? There's still there's still Atlantic City. (laughs) You know, there's still some white guys that get to make money on casinos, too. Right. So why not? Why not set up a situation where we, in legalizing marijuana, find a way for it to more greatly benefit 
the communities of color that got devastated by the drug war in the first place. Because there's already going to be a problem. There's already going to be a problem when it comes to the hood. And you know, the white folks been coming in from the suburbs to buy drugs from the kids in the hood for years, right? And that has been an economic engine for a lot of these impoverished areas. So what are those kids going to do when the when the very lucrative weed dealing jobs go away and become you know bud tender jobs at legal pot shops? Sure, they could get those jobs, sure, but they're not going to pay as much. They're going to pay like a regular job would. So there's going to be this this reduction of overall economic activity by legalizing marijuana. Because not only taking those jobs away, those illicit jobs away that are feeding some families, but also you crash the price of weed. So even the even somebody who's still dealing weed on the sly can't charge as much for it. So, so there's going to be this economic crash. How do we deal with that? What are we going to do to deal with that? Right? If If the kid can't sell weed anymore does he does he switch to selling harder drugs if we don't provide some other opportunity now i i offered some ideas right number one don't disqualify people for marijuana licenses based on a previous drug conviction if anything give them points for it right now i'm not talking about criminals right i'm not talking about people with you know ill intent who've committed violent acts etc right who've defrauded people or you know anything like that but if the only thing you got on a guy is you you caught him holding the bag you 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 busted him on some conspiracy charge or something that guy ought to be at the front of the line to get the legal marijuana license we want to move people out of the illicit market into the legal market and maybe some percentage of the tax revenues that come from marijuana legalization should specifically be earmarked to communities of color that have been devastated by the over-policing in the drug war. On the other hand, does marijuana legalization have to solve everything? That might be the counter-argument. Like, isn't it enough that legalizing marijuana is going to end the disproportionate arrests? That it's going to help free more black and Latino people? Does marijuana legalization have to solve racism and economic inequality and every other ill? Or should marijuana legalization stick to solving the problem of arresting people for marijuana? These are some interesting questions we'll be debating for sure. Five of the last nine major party candidates to run for president three of the last nine vice presidential candidates and the last three two-term presidents have all smoked pot. Marijuana, the gateway drug to the White House. This is the Russ Belville Show. The son of a Polish immigrant who grew up in a Brooklyn tenement. He went to public schools, then college, where the work of his life began, fighting injustice and inequality, speaking truth to power. He moved to Vermont, won election and praise as one of America's best mayors. 
In Congress, he stood up for working families and for principle, opposing the Iraq War, supporting veterans. Now he's taking on Wall Street and a corrupt political system, funded by over a million contributions, tackling climate change to create clean energy jobs, fighting for living wages, equal pay, and tuition-free public colleges. People are sick and tired of establishment politics, and they want real change. Bernie Sanders, husband, father, grandfather, an honest leader, building a movement with you to give us a future to believe in. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. Dr. Dabber, hurry, its temperature is shooting past a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's orders. Less heat, (laughs) more flavor. Welcome back, everybody. 12 after the hour here at uh, the Russ Belleville Show's Toker Talk Radio. We've got uh, plenty coming up for you. In the second half hour, we're going to talk a little bit about asset forfeiture and uh, another report on the Ohio vote. Right now, discussing the idea of reparations in the war on marijuana. Don't screw Pookie over again. What can we do? Or should we do anything? Should marijuana legalization just stick to marijuana legalization? I think there's definitely a racial angle that we need to take a look at here when it comes to marijuana legalization. I think Dr. Alexander, I think uh, Deborah Small, I think a lot of observers do have a valid point in this notion that We've had these laws, these drug war laws for 40 years and this enforcement for 40 years, this war on drugs that has disproportionately impacted people of color. And to just end it and say, oh, well, now it's all legal and then have white businessmen coming in and then dominating the market and profiting from it would be an injustice. Don't you think? Don't you think that's a little unjust? I think so. And and we want to see the end of the drug war be a positive, a net positive for everyone in America, not just pot smokers, but also the communities that have been ravaged by the drug war. I mean, sure, there's a point to be made that marijuana legalization should be about solely about the marijuana, who gets arrested for marijuana and ending that. But there's so many collateral consequences of those marijuana arrests that lead to the devastation of neighborhoods that affect people that have nothing to do with marijuana. Doesn't matter. You know, if you're a black kid growing up in an impoverished neighborhood, your parents might not smoke pot. You might not ever smoke pot or or do any other sort of drugs. But the fact that they've been illegal and disproportionately policed does change, does impact you. So you can't choose to just not be a part of it. I mean, 
I didn't grow up in a situation where there were helicopters flying over at night and where cop cars were patrolling all the time. And if you look the wrong way at the cop, they throw you up against the wall and stop and frisk you and all of that kind of stuff. I didn't have to deal with that. I didn't have to deal with knowing which street to walk home on because you had to worry about where the gang was hanging out. I mean, you didn't have to worry about that cop, that car slowly approaching whether or not it was, you know, getting ready to do a drive by. So we need to understand that this is bigger than just, you know, stopping the arrests. It's also about, you know, dealing with the aftermath, dealing with the, the, the carnage that this drug war has wrought. But on the other hand, there's a part of me that doesn't like um, racially based public policy. Okay, that's that's uh, that's overtly racially based things like affirmative action, busing, those kind of things. There's a part of me that bristles about that because I think there is some truth to the idea that so long as you're treating people differently based on race, you're exacerbating racism. Even if you're treating people differently based on race, in a, trying to do it for a positive reason to try to equalize things in some way at its most core definition racism is treating people differently because of race so when conservatives make that point i i get where they're coming from right i've i've heard that line on fox news so my solution i think is is on the right track and that is to give point have licensing in marijuana whether you be to be a licensed grower a licensed processor a licensed wholesaler a licensed retailer Set the regulations up, set the, you know, because usually these are merit-based, if it's going to be merit-based application, you know, uh, I would much prefer merit-based as preferred to lottery, right? But if it's going to be some merit-based application that gives points based on previous, the, the previous criminal record or previous criminal interaction when it came to the war on drugs. By doing it this way, by saying, you know, like, hey, if you were busted for possession, then you get 10 points. If you were busted for cultivation, you get 50 points. If you did time, you get 100 points per year. Whatever it might be, I'm just throwing numbers out there. But some sort of point system based on how much prohibition impacted your life. Now, of course, we're not going to, you know, let's disqualify violent guys and, and liars and thieves and, you know, real bad people. But if it was just, you know, you were a part of the marijuana market that happened to be illegal at the time, let's give you some points for that. And let's let's put those people at the front of the line to get the licensing. Now, the the nice thing about this is it's not directly racially based. Jeff Mazansky, some guy who did 20 years in prison, 22 years in prison for marijuana trafficking for a third strike, he'd get a whole ton of points and could get a marijuana license, right? White guy. But it, it wouldn't be directly racially based, but it would have the effect of mitigating some of the racist aspect of the war on drugs because more disproportionately more black and Latino people would have those criminal records that get you those extra points. Maybe that's maybe that's a way to look at it. Now, I can already poke some holes in that. Like it kind of rewards people who got busted, right? So, like, if you got busted, doesn't that mean you were a little? Maybe you were unlucky, but also maybe you weren't as smart <laughs> as the other people involved in the trade, right? So, in a sense, maybe you're rewarding incompetence. <laughs> in a sense, right? How would you? 
you know, the people that didn't get caught, perhaps, you know, the 30 the year pot growing families in Humboldt County, why should they be further behind in line for getting a license than some guy that grew in his closet was stupid and got busted? So, right. I'm not trying to say this is perfect, but maybe this is a direction we start to look if we're if we're really serious about coming up with some sort of reparations with when it comes to the, the war on drugs. And then, I've, uh, you know, the other possibility is, you know, a lot of these places are going to have a cap on licenses when they legalize. Uh, like the Nevada thing is so, so many licenses per population. Right. So it ends up you get like 80 licenses in Clark County and like four in or what is it, six or ten in the Reno, Clark County uh, or the uh, Washoe County, I should say. And then like one or two everywhere else. Well, maybe. Maybe those licenses ought to be distributed to people based on the disproportionality of the enforcement there. Like, you know, if they were arresting 60% of the people in that county were the ones that were getting arrested for, uh, were black people getting arrested for marijuana, then give out 60% of the licenses to black people. That's got its problems too. Who's exactly black? Do you have to? Do you have to prove you referenced that on the census at some point that you were self-identifying as black? Does Rachel Dolezal get a license? I mean, <laughs> there's still some problems with that too. It's not going to be an easy thing to discuss. It's not going to have some real easy cut and dry sort of lines for us to work on. But I think it's a concept worth discussing. How can we end the war on drugs in a way that best benefits the communities that were devastated by the war on drugs? Something to consider. We'll keep talking about it as the week goes on. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You can try, Hal. Think hard, Hal. 420 here in the Pacific Time Zone. It's great to be back in my home time zone where 420 comes at the time it's supposed to come. Although, really, does 420 ever come at a bad time for you? Not me. We got the strong silicone glow in the dark bog and some good panacea Chem Valley weed tested at 19.56% THC. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your Cannabis 280E and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPA's Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. Get Dot Buzz. Dot Buzz is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. Dot Buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. Dot Buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. Dot Buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at Get.Buzz. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com. 
helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Everyone knows music and marijuana go together, so let's wind up our 20 after break with the Russ Belleville Show's Daily Toker Tunes, the best in pod safe 420 music from around the web. Today is Roots Monday, featuring the blues, country, folk, and jazz music that birthed the modern sounds we enjoy today. Now, sit back and enjoy your Daily Toker Tune. Oh, yeah, back home for some Daily Toker Tunes, and Mr. Portland himself is on the line. We got Bacon Dan. How you doing, Bacon Dan? I am doing very good, man. I'm recovering still from the awesome Timbers win last night, but... Uh, yeah, and my Bills play tonight, so I can't complain. Oh, the Bills Patriots is tonight. That's right. Oh, please win. Uh, that's the goal. <laughs> that's always the goal. Hey, so what does this mean for uh, the, our Major League Soccer Portland Timbers? This is the playoffs, isn't it? It is. This is the Western Conference Finals, and we killed Dallas 3-1 to one last night uh, right from the start. Very aggressive playing. Um, so now we go to Dallas on Friday, and... With a tie or a win, we go to the MLS Finals. Uh, hopefully against a very strong Columbus who beat out New York Red Bulls 2-0 last night. I see. So they got the same situation. They need a win or a tie to move on? Exactly. Right on. All right. So, wow, could be Columbus and Portland fighting for the Major League Soccer Championship. This would be a first for Portland, wouldn't it? It would. And I'll tell you what, we're looking strong enough and... The support last night at the gaming, my God, it was freezing cold, but nobody left until like every player was off the field, and we cheered them so hard. It was just so good. How exciting. All right, big things happening here in Portland. Of course, the uh, NBA is starting up. The Portland Trailblazers have been playing a few games, recently beat the Lakers. That's a good. Uh, that's always good here in Portland. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you've got uh, the karaoke from hell going on tonight at uh, Dante's downtown, I understand? I do, and we are doing an earlier show tonight, so it's going to be starting at 9.30 for anybody listening in the greater Portland area. All right, check that out. Dante's downtown at uh, 3rd and West Burnside, and uh, the uh, Who's the Ross program also going on. Tell folks uh, about the next showing for Who's the Ross. So we will be on uh, this Tuesday at Dante's uh, with our annual uh, turkey show, I believe we'll be bringing back our character of Daniel Plainview in There Will Be Turkey, uh, a dead-on impersonation that Aaron does of the Daniel Day-Lewis character. So it should be really good. <laughs> and then uh, before too long, our annual Tatas for Toys show, where we raise money for Dornbecker's Children's Hospital, will be coming up in December. Last year, we raised $3,000 to buy toys for the kids. So this year, we're going to hopefully break that. You guys, check it out. If you're here in the Portland area on a Monday or a Tuesday night, just go on down to Dante's downtown. Uh, visit with Bacon Dan no matter what's happening. And afterwards, you can just walk across the street and get a voodoo donut. And you can erase everything off your Portland bucket list in one stop. Oh, absolutely. All right. So, Dan, tell us about today's uh, Roots Monday tune, a good classic punk band for us. Yeah. So this week we've got Poison Heart by the Ramones. Uh, this is definitely a different sound for them, a different pace to the normal kind of Ramon song. Uh, it was written by uh, the ex-bassist Dee Dee Ramon, who we all know had his own issues. And basically, this song was written for the band in exchange for bailing uh, him out of jail. <laughs> uh, this was 
on the uh, Pet Cemetery 2 soundtrack. I personally love this song. It's just a really fun song. Uh, it's one that we're actually working on trying to get on to Karaoke from Hell. Oh, very good. All right. And uh, for folks, if you don't know, Karaoke from Hell is uh, karaoke done with a live band. And what, they've got how many tracks now that they cover? Uh, almost 600. Almost 600. That's an amazing cover band, man. you got to check that out. All right. Going on tonight, 930 at Dante's downtown, uh, West Burnside and 3rd. And uh, Bacon Dan will be down there. Give him your name. He'll get you on stage. The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. The Fingerboard Extension has fretted instruments to enhance your creativity. It has new and used guitars and banjos from beginning to high class. The Fingerboard Extension has National Resophonic, Hassan Dalton, Larrabee, Heritage and Recording King guitars, and Mike Ramsey, Wildwood, Gold Tone and Recording King banjos. The Fingerboard Extension also has drum stuff, used gear, and parts. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis, Oregon at 120 Northwest 2nd, or check out the inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com and reverb.com. Step into the future every Tuesday night with Electric Bob's Boogaloo, our weekly electronic music jam. Electric Bob brings you the latest house, trance, dubstep, and other electronic music from the freshest DJs and producers. It's every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Pacific with replays weekends at 11 p.m. on 420radio.org. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at KarcherInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. Welcome back, everybody. 33 after the hour here at Rolla J Studios in beautiful legal Potland, Oregon, where it is cold and rainy. We are definitely in late November and uh, quite a change of pace from uh, the sunny and warm mid 80 degree days in Jamaica a couple weeks ago. It was even nice in D.C. while I was there. Got a chance to go to the uh, National Mall. I visited the museum. No, not the museum. The newsium. Like, as in news museum. Yes, they have a news museum. It's amazing. I recommend it highly if you go to Washington, D.C. Of course, I do most everything highly. But uh, definitely worth checking out. There's an exhibit there of some of the, well, all of the Pulitzer Prize winning photographs and the stories behind them. It just 
take your breath away. And some of them you recognize, like the flag at Iwo Jima and, and so forth. But some of them I had never seen before, and they were just compelling as hell. An exhibit on 9-11, an exhibit on the Berlin Wall with actual, you know, 12-foot-tall chunks of the Berlin Wall all graffitied up on the west side and completely clean on the east side. Very interesting. Uh, there was an exhibit on the assassination of Abraham Lincoln and how it was like one of the first breaking news events since Telegraph finally made it possible to get news faster than sending it on a piece of paper on a boy on a horse <laughs> to get to the uh, news desk. You could actually telegraph it. Uh, there was a, a display on the reporting of the Vietnam War, how it changed and shaped uh, the fighting there as Americans got to see the bloodshed on their televisions live for the first time ever. It, it was an amazing, an amazing place, and uh, it was very fun to go there. I also had the chance to go to the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial. Uh, see, I've been to the National Mall a couple times, so I've already done like the Capitol and the Washington Monument and the Lincoln Memorial. So this uh, Vietnam Wall, definitely the Vietnam Wall you have to see. Um, but this time I went to the uh, Martin Luther King Memorial. It's kind of across the street from the mall by the uh, water. And just what an elegant memorial. The beautiful uh, block uh, sculpture of Martin Luther King and some of his select quotes on the wall behind him. And it was just uh, very, very touching. And that reminds me that back at the museum, there was another exhibit, which was uh, Civil Rights at 50, which described uh, how the news covered uh, the emerging civil rights movement. Uh, up through the, uh, the the Bloody Sunday March on the uh, the Edmund Pettus Bridge in 1965, and there was something there that just really it really brought it all home to me, and it was a cast iron replica of the jail cell door from the Birmingham jail that Dr. Martin Luther King sat in. And, of course, wrote his treatise, you know, Letter from a Birmingham Jail, uh, that I quote extensively in, in a lot of my writings when I talk about unjust laws and why we fight against marijuana prohibition. We fight against the drug war because we have a moral obligation to disobey unjust laws and that an injustice anywhere is an injustice everywhere, that we have to fight these laws, even if they don't directly or proportionally affect us. So the jail cell door is there, and it's the replica of, of, of his jail cell. And it was interesting to me because I've, I've been to jail, and I'd never experienced a door like that, a jail with actual bars and the little slot, you know, where you put the tray through for, for lunch and such. I've always been in jails that had, you know, just metal doors and plexiglass and concrete, you know, modern jails. But this is a replica of a, you know, 1950s jail. And I... I've, Placed my hands on the bars, you know, and, and the bars weren't completely uh, sidrilical either. They had kind of like a ridge on either side uh, of the bar, you know, 180 degrees opposed. I kind of run my fingers up and down this ridge, and I'm feeling the cold bars and how solid they are. And it just hit me all at once to think that, you know, that's what Dr. King might have done. You know, felt you know, felt those same kind of bars. and. Worried about his wife and his kids, you know, under the threat of, you know, possible attack, you know, at these times, 
when they are fighting for these things. And it, it just, it got to me all at once. And it was just an amazing, amazing feeling, amazing uh, revelation and, and understanding. I, I it, it's, I, the longer I do this, the more I feel this legalization thing, this marijuana legalization thing, this drug war in general, and even broader beyond the drug war, the drug testing, and and, and even more than that, the pharmaceutical industry, and, and, and prisons, and mass incarceration, and prison labor, and asset forfeiture, and all these things that just become too big to bear. It's just, how is this not the civil rights struggle of our time? How is this not something that everybody from the left or from the right or for no political ideology whatsoever can't see as the most un-American thing, one of the most un-American things we're in, engaged in. It, it, it really, it's, it's really starting to blend for me. I'm really starting to feel it um, as bigger than just whether or not you can smoke a joint to get high and not get busted. It's so much bigger than that. And I hope you feel that too. As you're listening, you're listening to uh, Toker Talk Radio. I'm Radical Russ here at CannabisRadio.com. And I uh, wanted to bring up uh, one of these points about the drug war, and that is asset forfeiture. And there's an interesting uh, story out that uh, came from uh, The Forecaster, uh, a blog out there that noted some of the figures in our war on drugs. We've talked about asset forfeiture on this show before, and of course, asset forfeiture is when the cops say that you committed a crime. In fact, they don't even really have to say you committed a crime, but they can take your money and your assets, your car, your home, based on the theory that it is illegal. It created a crime. It caused a crime. You bought your car thanks to the proceeds of illegal activity. And then the car or the house or the cash goes on trial. Literally, you have cases, the United States versus $533,000 in cash. As if the cash could testify or, you know, (laughs) but really, it's literally a charge against the property. And the property is guilty until proven innocent. How much more un-American can you get, right? Guilty until proven innocent. You got to prove that it's innocent. And this is civil forfeiture. This isn't criminal we're talking about. This isn't you committed a crime and then they took your stuff. This is civil. They don't even have to prove you committed a crime. You don't have to be arrested for anything. This civil forfeiture laws are allowing cops to take your house because, oh, your kid had a heroin problem. We found some heroin in the house. Bah, drug dealer, illegal proceeds. We're going to take your house or take your car. Pull you over. You've got some, you got too much cash on you. Uh, we'll take the cash. Thanks very much. We'll take the car too because we found uh, some seeds and stems. Hell, sometimes they don't even find anything. They just find a whole bunch of cash and they say, "Well, because you have so much cash, you obviously must be a drug dealer." Couldn't be that you won the lottery. Couldn't be that it's money for a down payment for something or anything like that. No, nope, you have to be a criminal. So. When we take a look at some of the statistics for last year, for crime, for burglary, the total in the United States for burglary, criminals stealing your stuff, was $3.9 billion, with a B. 
$3.9 billion worth of stuff that criminals stole last year. U.S. law enforcement officials, asset forfeiture, $4.5 billion last year. The cops took more property from Americans than the burglars did in 2014. The cops are stealing more than the criminals. Now, the the criminal side doesn't include larceny, doesn't include embezzlement, right? We're just talking about burglars stealing your stuff, right? So that would affect it a little bit. But also, the $4.5 billion is after they make payouts to the victims, right? And we're including Bernie Madoff, right? The That whole uh, Ponzi scheme guy. He was $1.7 billion of it. So, you know, there are some caveats. But the cops are stealing more from the people than the criminals are. If that's not an indictment or system, I don't know what is. America's double R7 secret agent of progressive change. The name's Belleville. Russ Belleville. This is the Russ Belleville Show. Thanks for listening to us live here on CannabisRadio.com. All you live listeners, make sure you stay tuned because coming up at the top of the hour, Stoner Jesus here will bless you with all his stony goodness and benevolence. Stoner Jesus here on Cannabis Radio, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 8 p.m. I'm sorry. Yeah, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. (laughs) I've been in too many time zones, man. (laughs) Hey, we'll be right back to wrap things up with uh, our tinfoil hat segment. Was Ohio's pot vote stolen? This is Radical Russ encouraging you to take a look at the Weed Blog every day. Johnny Green and the staff at the Weed Blog are on top of all the latest developments in the fight to end marijuana prohibition nationwide. You can even get the Weed Blog on your smartphone by installing the Weed Blog app for iPhone and Android. If it's about weed, it's on the Weed Blog, including my original writing. So don't delay. Read the Weed Blog today. Despite strong public support for medical cannabis, decriminalization, and legalization in Georgia, the state spends $121 million every year to arrest, prosecute, and imprison Georgians for simple possession. Each year, the state of Georgia spends less on driver services, agriculture, and forestry combined. What else can $121 million a year do in Georgia? With that much money, the state could hire and keep 3,000 more teachers, improve roads and bridges, Provide tax relief for small businesses, repair aging sewage systems, or lower taxes. But right now, that's millions of dollars of your tax money wasted on failed enforcement. Tell your representative you're tired of wasteful spending and ask them to end cannabis prohibition. Join the conversation at www.peachtreenormal.org. Peachtree Normal is a proud affiliate of Normal, the national organization for the reform of marijuana laws. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. 
Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. All right, welcome back, everybody. Wrapping things up here on the Russ Belleville Show's Toker Talk Radio. Going back to Ohio for just a moment here, where there's a new post up on Alternate. Expert says Ohio's vote against pot legalization was statistically impossible. The conclusion that the vote was stolen is almost inescapable. Now, this comes from uh, Ron... Byman, the assistant professor of graduate business administration at Benedictine University. He teaches economics and statistics there. The Columbus Free Press asked him to calculate the odds of the official vote count for issue three. Now, remember, issue three lost by about two to one. It was a 65-35 that it lost by. Compared to the tracking polls that showed that it was almost a tie or more uh, likely a win, for Ohio issue three, Ron Byman said, quote, the results are not only impossible, but unfathomable. So uh, the reason being is he says that the um, undecided voters should have broken 50 50 half would vote. No, half would vote. Yes. And that the referendum, the chances of it losing two to one are one in a million. Show that even if. You assumed every single undecided voter in the polls voted against issue three. It's still statistically impossible to accept the official secretary of state tally, according to this professor. He he cites a couple of pre-election tracking polls. Zogby's poll, uh, which showed a. uh, Where is that result? Yeah, so it showed that it was going to be a close uh, win. Uh, there was also a poll done by the Kitchen Group that showed a close election. And they're doubting now that you could have such a result, a two-to-one loss, when the polls were showing about a 50-50 vote. I don't know. I think it's possible. I think it's possible because the polls don't necessarily, you know, when they say likely voters versus people who really go out and vote... That could shape it. I don't know. It's worth investigation, but I think think you need a little bit more than referring to a couple of polls. You know, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, so we'll keep our eye on it. But folks, that's all the time we got for today. We got to get out of here early so that uh, we can clean up the studio for Stoner Jesus. He's coming up at the top of the hour to bless you with stony goodness. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll 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 it, you try it, you